Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Church reimagined, that's what we're calling it. It's rethinking church. But here's, here's why this is so critical. And, um, and if you're new to our church, like you just showed up today or showed up in the last couple of weeks, this is like the best series ever for you. Here's why. COVID season, everybody hit the pause button. We didn't show up, right? I mean, we were told not to. I get it. We're not even going to talk about that. But it was the pause button. What this is, is after we've regathered together, it's asking this question. Who does God want us to be as a church? So it wasn't just the pause button. It's actually the reset button to say, well, with everything shut down, what do we bring back? And it's not just like, well, what's fun for me? What do I want to do? Or what do you want to do? The question really is, what does God want us to do? What kind of church does God want us to be? And so here's what it is. Our leadership team for the last 18 months have been asking this question. Who does God want us to be as a church? Like, what is unique to us here on the Hill? And so this Church Reimagined series is our, uh, is our clarity to you about the, what the mission of our church is and what the value of our church is and what the vision of our church is. And so we're going to do this for six weeks. We're going to talk about our mission, values, and vision for our church. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. But it's not just us telling you what it is. It's actually an invitation for you to build it with us. Because it doesn't matter what I believe. It really matters what we do together. So our, our mission, honestly, for every church is the same. It's make disciples. I mean, help people who are far from God discover who God is and watch their life be changed. That's every church's. But we've been asking the question, like, what's unique to us about it? And we'll get there. But I want to talk about the fact that we actually have a problem first. <laughs> and our problem is this, and it's a problem for every North American church, probably every church worldwide. And it's, uh, it's this question, how are Christians perceived in our culture? Now, if you want to know that, do what you do with everything else. Just Google it. Now, don't pull this slide up yet. If you Googled it, and all you have to type in is, why are Christians, what do you think is going to show up? Why are Christians so loving? Why are you laughing? Because this is what shows up. When you Google it, Why are Christians, and that's all I typed in, and I snapshotted this for you here. Why are Christians so judgmental is the first thing that pops up. (laughs) Why are Christians so persecuted, boycotting Disney against abortion, important or dying? I just thought it was interesting that the first thing that shows up was negative. Now, if I'm being very fair to the church, um, some of that's undeserved. Because when you have a group of people that really want to live however they want, and there's another group of people said there's a God that exists. And when you join his family, he has family values. This is the way life should operate. And they're like, mm, that would mean that I'm doing wrong. And they're going to call anyone who disagrees with their life judgmental. And that's not actually true. You're just revealing that there's a God to them who loves them, cares about them, but has a way of doing life because he created it and he knows how to live it best, right? So to, to be fair, though, to people who might think we're judgmental, they've probably run across some Christians who were judgmental. Can we just stop there? 
Either way is fair. Um, so here's this question, though. If Christians are perceived as judgmental, how is Jesus perceived in his culture? Such a great question. Um, get this. Thousands of people walked mile after mile to find Jesus, and he never had a social media platform. In fact, they didn't even know where to find him. They're like, I think he's up by like the Sea of Galilee. You can go find him up there. That's like hundreds of miles around that. And so they would walk just to try and find him. So crowds would swarm him even if they weren't invited. Why? It's because they found Jesus, here's the word, irresistible. What made him irresistible? I, I think two things. Number one, his miracles. And number two is teaching. Uh, let me show this to you. I want you to think about it this way. If Jesus wanted to do a miracle to impress people, he could have done a trick. Like a magic show trick. Watch me pull the rabbit out of my cloak. I mean, that'd be impressive, right? He could have put a woman in a box, sawed her in half, and been like, look, boom, and put her back together, right? I don't know why it's always a woman. Yeah, that's another topic. Uh, but he didn't. I mean, he could have said, uh, uh, ma'am, would you uh, open up your purse? I'm going to tell you the five items that you're going to find in your purse. And he could like read somebody's mind that way. Like, it's a trick, right? But he didn't do tricks. He did these miracles that were specific. Jesus was irresistible because his miracles were driven by this, compassionate love. Think about it. Try and come up with a single miracle that wasn't about Jesus' compassionate love. I actually, as I read the scriptures, I can just find one. There is this, it was like at the end of Jesus' life, and he told this tree because it didn't have any fruit on it. He's like, tree, die. I mean, it's a loose translation of scriptures. Tree, die. Next day, it was dead. It was a miracle. But it was actually about God's judgment that was coming. But most of his miracles, almost all of them, are about his compassionate love. So let me just walk you through this real quick. The book of John starts with Jesus' first miracle, and he just... You don't even have to turn there. Let me just tell you a few stories. Now, there's this wedding that's going on, and uh, it's the very first miracle that Jesus ever did. The wine runs out. And you might think, who cares? The wine ran out at a wedding. It really, really matters to the family that's hosting this wedding, though. No one's going to die without wine. But their reputation is done in that city. So Jesus says, fill up these six stone jars. The stone jars, the, the water jars, typically are 20 to 30 gallons. Six of them. According to my calculations, that's 120 to 180 gallons. He turns them to wine. Not only does he turn them to wine, but he says, hey, go serve it to the master ceremonies. And he does. And the master ceremony says, whoa, whoa, time out. Don't you normally serve the really good stuff first? And then once people have had too much, then you serve the stuff that's not as good? Jesus could have made two buck chuck. But he didn't. The master of the ceremony says, you've saved the best for last. He does this extravagant miracle. Why? His compassionate love for this family. His desire to not shame them. And not only does he do it, but he gives them the best. I mean, right after that, that that's John chapter 2. A couple chapters later, there's this woman at the well. She's there in the middle of the day because none of the other women in the heat of the day are going to show up there, right? Because she has a deservedly bad reputation. So Jesus starts talking to her, says, hey, how about you give me a, a drink 
of water. And do you remember the miracle? The miracle is he actually tells her all about her life, even though he's never met her. He tells her this. He says, you know, the four uh, husbands that you already had, I I know about them. And the guy that you're with now, living with now, he ain't actually your husband. And she's like, you must be a prophet. She says, I know that there's going to be a one coming called the Messiah who's going to set his people free. And he goes, let me tell you a secret. It's me. You see, it might have seemed cruel to run her through the videotape of her life. But it actually wasn't because what would be cruel is to do what everyone else did to the woman, ignore her, to say, you're unworthy to be talked to. And Jesus strikes up conversation and says, hey, I'd love a drink. And then he offers her a drink. I'll give you living water. Um, it's funny because it changed her life. Because she runs back to the village and the scripture says this, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. (laughs) That's kind of weird. Run to the town that's been shaming you. And you're like, hey, you'll never believe this. He told me about all the dirty little secrets I have. All of them. You got to meet him. The outcome, John writes, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus' conversation with her was full of love and compassion. Right after that, there's this story about this guy's son who's on the brink of death. And this father comes, begs Jesus, heal my son. He goes, go, he's well. The father travels all the way back home and finds out that the the same moment that his son was made well was actually the same moment that Jesus told him, your your son, he's going to be fine. Can you imagine a son or a dad who's about to lose his son? And Jesus brings him back from the brink of death. How irresistible is Jesus to that man? Very next chapter, John chapter five, there's this guy hanging out at a pool. He hasn't stood at his own legs for 38 years. And Jesus asked him, you want to get made well? If that guy could stand up and punch Jesus in the face, I think he would have. Think about it. You're there for 38 years and someone says, do you want to get well? And Jesus tells him, get on your feet. Stand up, take your mat and go home. And in that moment, the feeling returns to his legs and he stands up. How irresistible is Jesus to that man in that moment? Very next story. It says this, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. What made Jesus irresistible? His miracles. But his miracles, though, were all about his love and compassion for people. And that day, you know the story, right? There's 5,000 people there, at least 5,000. And Jesus Jesus just starts breaking bread and breaking fish. And he's only got one basket full, but it never disappears. And they feed 5,000 people with it. Why? Because they were hungry and Jesus had love and compassion for them. How was Jesus perceived in his culture? He was irresistible. By the way, I just don't think it was his miracles. I think it was his teaching too. You know what people said about him? They said, we don't know what it is about you, but you teach with authority, not like the rabbis. Now, if you're a rabbi, that's bad news. (laughs) There's a lot of preachers out there. They're not very good. They're not very interesting, but you don't talk like them. You know what they were saying about the culture? All the rabbis, they would like quote each other. This guy says this, and this guy says this. And Jesus would step on the scene, and he would say something like this. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven. Whose father? My father, 
He taught with a kind of authority that nobody else heard. And they're like, wow, I guess if I want to know God, I don't have to listen to all the other rabbis. I need to listen to God's son. But watch what happens next. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 6. And Jesus gives them this truth because, and I'll warn you here as you're finding that. Let me just warn you. If we're talking about the mission of our church today, some of you should be getting nervous right now. Oh, so we just need to be a church that like loves people and is like super compassionate with them. Look at me. Some churches have gone totally sideways away from the the gospel of Jesus Christ because they thought, oh, you know, we just need to love people. Just be compassionate about them. Look what Jesus does next here. Chapter six, verse 47. He says this, very truly, I tell you, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. I tell you, the one who believes in me, that one has eternal life. And then he says this, I'm the bread of life. Verse 51, he says, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. (laughs) You catch it, right? He's like, I'm the bread of life. Have a bite. And it means exactly what you think it means. It's confusing. The very next verse, 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's disgusting. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. That's gross. But see, Jesus is stating this because they don't know he's about to go to the cross, have his body broken, and shed his blood. They had no idea that for the the last 2,000 years, you and I and every follower of Jesus would take bread and take juice or wine as a symbol of his body and his blood, and we would eat it and drink it, proclaiming that we are a part of him and he is a part of us, that that's the symbol of being a follower of Christ. They didn't know that, but Jesus, he just leveled this hard truth at them. Look at what happens, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples says, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? It gets worse. Verse 66. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Make note of this. Jesus didn't do stuff to be super attractional and irresistible to people like, I just want to gather a large crowd. We could try that as a church. Let's serve beer, show an MMA fight on the screen. Let's go. You'll get a crowd. But in this moment, Jesus tells him this really hard truth. And then he looks at his 12 disciples and he says this, you do not want to leave too, do you? Think about it. You're the 12. When he breaks bread and there's all these miracles, you're like standing near Jesus for the photo op, right? But now everybody's leaving and they're like, Jesus, like, do you realize what you just said? Telling people to take a bite of you. Like, it's weird. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? I I left my nets. I left my fishing career. I've been following you. And then he says this, for you have the words of eternal life. There's something about Jesus that is so irresistible that when he gives you this hard truth, people are still attracted to him and they still want to stick with him. See, Jesus didn't shy away from truth because he just wasn't trying to create a crowd. Point number two, but Jesus never compromised on the transformational truth. And as a church, our ministry, shouldn't it reflect how Jesus did ministry? 
Meaning this, shouldn't we be pretty irresistible to people in the way we approach them with our love and compassion? But shouldn't we still be able to tell the truth of who Jesus is and the cross and the resurrection? I mean, if Jesus led with irresistible, compassionate love, shouldn't we? But here's the truth. Sometimes Christians lead with truth. And you know what? It's interesting. It's even worse. Sometimes Christians lead with their morality. Your morality, the morality of Christ, is not attractional. It's not attractive. It's not irresistible. Every person out there who doesn't follow Jesus, your morals, they're not interested in. You know why? Well, John wrote about this way. He said this. He's like, you know, there's people that just love to live in the dark. And when they live in the dark and you shine light on it, then the light makes, it's like cockroaches. That's not in the scriptures. Okay. But they flee from that because it's like, ah, I'm going to look bad here. But listen, the doorway to Jesus is admitting, you know what? I am bad. I'm not okay. There's a brokenness to me. Um, Why would a person who lives a self, in a self-indulgent culture, listen to this, why would a person who lives in a self-indulgent culture be drawn to a group of people who believe in self-sacrifice? Why would someone who's living a self-indulgent culture believe this, hey, take up your cross and follow me, and whoever gives up their life will find it. That's not irresistible. That They can totally resist that. But the love and compassion of Jesus... It's irresistible. Even most of the teachings are irresistible because it's about how God sacrificed his own son because he loved us so much so that we might be forgiven. So let me state it this way. You've already heard this if you've been around for quite a while because I've been throwing this out and testing the waters with this. But our church on the hill, our mission is this. It's displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. There's two parts to it. It's displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. So to display the irresistibility of Jesus, though, there's something that matters. And here it is. Perception matters. Perception matters, though, without compromising the truth. So what is perception? It's in your notes. This is what it is. Perception is when people, they organize what they see and what they hear and what they experience from our actions, our words, and our attitudes into their perceptions of who we are but it also reflects on their perception of Jesus. All right, do y'all remember that TV show, What Not to Wear? Yeah, some of you watched it, huh? You you would nominate a friend of yours who had no fashion sense whatsoever. They bring the person on the show, they put them in a room that had mirrors all the way around. So when they looked out, they could see themselves from all these different perceptions or perspectives, right? And everyone would say the same thing. They'd be like, I like what I wear. It's comfortable. Comfortable is what you wear when you're in your living room. Comfortable is not what you wear when you go to work or go out because other people are going to be there. They're going to have a perception of you. Everyone's perception of there isn't like, they don't look at them and go, they are so comfortable. (laughs) No, their perception is you're a slob. You're careless about what you look like. And so these people, they would nominate their friends and then they would get this makeover and this whole, uh, this whole new look. And, but the people, they would always say the same thing. It just matters if I like it, right? 
It just matters if, if I'm okay with what I look like. You know what? If it's a matter of your clothes, yes. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, if we're saying the way I speak, the way I behave, and the attitude that I bring that makes someone feel a certain way, as long as I like it, I'm good with it. That is not true. It never will be. Because you and I, we're representing a Jesus who is irresistible to people. And if we come in and people are like, "Eh," and they're put off by the way that we behave or the words that we speak or the attitudes that make them feel a certain way, no, it's not okay. Because we're not representing the king very well. See, there's a perception problem that sometimes is rightfully deserved. Our mission is to display the irresistibility of Jesus through our words and actions. So that when people meet Jesus, their lives are going to, they're going to be transformed. But transformation, it doesn't come without truth. And you and I, we're not going to compromise on the truth. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in a series. But here's what I'd like to do. I, I just, I want to end with this. I want to show you how it happened in a church. And then I want to tell you how it happened in our church. All right? So, got a Bible? Go to First Thessalonians chapter 2. And here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to be in 1 Thessalonians for six weeks. We're, I, and I'm going to invite you, just read it. And so for the next six weeks, here it is. We're on week one, right? So do this. This week, read chapter one every day. The whole chapter. It's not long. Just read the whole chapter every day. But every day, allow God to focus your attention on something different in chapter one. So in five weeks, we'll be done with 1 Thessalonians. My point in showing you this is, is simply this, thriving churches, a church that has a future, a church that represents Jesus well, they really do display the irresistibility of Jesus. And let me show it to you. The Apostle Paul, he writes this church a letter and he, he pulls them all the way back to, hey, when your church launched, when, when we were there, when this church was formed, I, I want to talk to you about that. Look at chapter two, verse seven. Halfway through verse seven, he writes this. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You want to memorize a verse that'll transform how you are with people? Just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Mom, you get this, right? You brought that little baby home. You looked into her eyes or his eyes and you swore I will do whatever it takes to love you, protect you, care for you. And you meant it with all of your soul. And Paul says, when I first met you, man, I cared for you like a mom. Like a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because here's why. We loved you. We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. What motivated Paul? He loved them. It's hard to explain, isn't it? Because in our culture, even church culture today, what do you hear? People are so fantastic. People are so easy to love. No, what do you hear? People are dumb. Man, people are hard to put up with. People are crazy, right? I've said it. I know you have too. Unless you're awesome. You're like, no, people are great. Just love them all. I wish I could live in your bubble. For Paul, he's like, no, no. I, 
I love you. Can I just say this? You and I will never display the irresistibility of Jesus if we don't love them. Because you might look at the mission of our church, displaying the irresistibility of Jesus, like, okay, it's the right thing to do, right? Okay, so how do I do that? Just tell me what to do. I'll just go do it. I can't, and you're going to waste your time. You're going to waste your time, and you're probably going to offend people and be ineffective if you don't first and foremost love people. And by the way, can I just say this? If we can't love the people in this room, how are we ever going to love the people who are not yet in this room? Come on. He writes this, verse 11. He says, For you know how we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Okay, so we got the mother. Now be like a dad. He says, This is what I was like with you. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I thought it was interesting that that's how he characterizes a dad. Dads, pay attention. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. I, I would have thought he would have said, hey, like a mom, I encouraged you, comforted you, and urged you. He said, no, no, like a dad should do. I encouraged you. I put courage inside you. Go for it. You can do this. Comfort. It's going to be okay. And urging you on. God's with you in the midst of this. And when you read 1 Thessalonians, here's what I love about this book. Every single chapter, it's marked by how much Paul loved this church. Every single chapter. You'll find it all over the place. I could have gone anywhere in any chapter. And it's marked by how much Paul deeply loved the church. By the way, what was the result in the church then? Here it is. Lives are transformed. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Halfway through verse 5, it reads this way. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You started copying how we spoke, how we behaved. You started copying our attitudes. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here's a wonderful truth for you. No one listens to people they don't like, (laughs) right? Think about someone who irritates you. Even if they spoke the truth to you, wouldn't you be like, I don't even know if that's true because I don't even like you. Right? No one models themselves after someone who's irritating. We flee in the other direction. And Paul's like, here's what happened. We loved you and we told you the truth. We shared our lives and we shared the truth of the gospel. And here's what happened. You became like us. You wanted to know what drove us. You wanted to know our mission that we were on. And we just told you the truth. It was all about Jesus. And you said yes to that. And listen, their transformation was so much so that they became this model church. Everybody heard about them. They're like, you should be like the Thessalonica church. Um, And you might think, you know what? Maybe they were just great people to begin with. And maybe their transformation was like just this big. Like they became a little bit nicer. Um, This town of... Thessalonica. It was actually on the Via Ignatia, Ignatia uh, trade route. And so with all the trade that came into the city, uh, it also brought all the foreign gods into the city. We get this, right? We live in the Bay Area, right? A city, everybody, tons of people come here. And with it, they bring a bunch of their foreign religions with which they were raised. That's how these people grew up. Listen to what Paul says about him. Chapter 1, verse 9. You turn to God from idols to serve the living true God. 
here's their transformation. You believe something because you were raised that way and you totally said, that is wrong, it is not right. I'm walking away from that and I'm embracing Jesus. That's how great their transformation was. They were willing to forsake what it is their parents told them. God, he's given you and me a mission. Wrap up with this. It's displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. And our mission is first and foremost right here in the Silicon Valley where we have a diversity of people. Love it. Which brings with it an awful lot of diversity of religious beliefs that are false. But that just puts us in a prime place to see life transformation when they find out that Jesus is irresistible. But how will they find that out? Through you and me. So this is my last question for you. Is it possible? Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible through your words, actions, and attitudes to present Christ to someone in an irresistible way? Do you think you can do it? So much so that they would go, tell me more. And do you think that as you share the gospel with them, that, that there's, there's an opportunity that they could say, I think you're right. I, and I think I'm wrong. Whether they're atheist, agnostic, Hindu, that it's not just, oh, this is another God. No, this is the one true God. There is no other. And do you think that they would transform from what they grew up as to say, I'm putting my faith in Christ because I believe he died on the cross for me? Do you think it's possible? I know you know that there's a right answer to that, right? But here's what was so encouraging to me. Um, what we believe about the answer to that question reflects what we believe about God. Do you think it's possible for him? Or do you think, you know what, no, no, people are so lost, God either isn't powerful enough or he doesn't care enough to save them. Because you know this, transformation, that's God's job. That's what he does. Presenting the truth and the irresistibility of Jesus, that's us. He'll be with you in the midst of that. He will empower you to do that. But do you know whether we think it's possible or not? That's actually a reflection on what we think about God. So if you don't think it's possible, or you think you're too broken, or, or too ill-equipped, you're making a statement about what you believe about God. And I believe that God can make possible the mission that he's given us. Can I tell you one thing that really, really encouraged me? In this room on Wednesday night, there were 100 people in here. And we shared a lot of detail about, here's the vision of our church. And I asked them this question. Bo, go ahead and pull that up for me real quick. I just asked them this question. I, I, I showed them this slide and it said, um, what has been the most life transforming for you at Church on the Hill? <clears throat> like, I, I just said this, like, you've been transformed. Maybe you're a follower of Christ, like you're different. And so what was the thing that as you joined this church or became a Christian, like what was the most transformational thing for you? Here's what's interesting. The number one thing over there on the left-hand side, community groups, 46 people said that. They got to pick three answers, okay? I know the numbers total more than 100, okay? And by the way, out of those 100, there were some technologically challenged people that couldn't get on their phone and take the survey. Got it. That's such good news. Because you know what's true about that? I don't go to every community group. So it doesn't take the pastor to have a transformational movement in somebody's life. Uh, the second thing, preaching. You guys were just being generous. I appreciate it. 
just making the pastor feel better. But you know what? The third one I think is actually the most exciting. It was relationships. That green one right there, 39. Notice everything else falls drastically far beneath those. Here's what people were saying. The thing that was transformational, that brought me to Jesus, that changed me, was a person. It's not the pastor. It's not the staff. There was someone in my life who built a relationship with me, earned the right to be heard, and they spoke into my life in such a way. They loved me, showed me the irresistibility of Jesus, demonstrated that truth, and it changed me. I hope that encourages you because in both community groups and relationships, it's about a person influencing another person. The power is not in the preacher to see transformation. The success of this mission is not dependent on one person on a Sunday morning for 35 minutes rambling on. It's dependent on those in the seats that take this seriously to display the irresistibility of Jesus to their neighbors and coworker and family and friends. And in the midst of that, you get to speak truth into their life and coach them and encourage them towards Jesus. You have influence and impact with people. If you're willing to jump in this mission, if you're willing to jump in this mission and say, yeah, I believe it's possible, and I'm in. And maybe you've never even crossed the line of faith and you're here today and you're like, wow, this is, he's kind of passionate about that. <laughs> I'm passionate about Jesus because he saved me from a life without him today and without him in eternity. And I just know this, we'll talk about this next week, about the importance of whether we cross that line of faith or not. So if you're here today and you've never crossed that line of faith, maybe today's the day you're like, wow, Jesus really is somebody significant. Maybe you're ready to discover him. Maybe you're ready to say, you know, I believe he died on the cross for me. You can take that step today, and you can do that. I want to pause and just uh, pray for a moment. I do believe this, that this mission is absolutely possible because of the power and the love of God. But he wants to use us to pull it off. I hope you'll say yes to it. We're not even close to being done. We've got five more weeks to talk about our mission and values and I hope you'll engage with this. But this week, hey, read First Thessalonians chapter 1. And then I gave you two other steps in your notes there. Who will you pray for this week who doesn't yet know Jesus? Don't wait to the end of this series to engage in the mission. Let's start it today. Who will you pray for this week who doesn't yet know Jesus? And then here's a third one. What one action will you take this week to display Jesus' kindness, generosity, or love? I know most of your community groups this week, they're going to be fun events, but maybe you could share in your group the answer to that question. What would you do this week that showed Jesus' kindness, generosity, or love? We're going to have our band come out right now and just have some breathing space for you for a moment. I talked long and hard at you. What's God evoking in you? What's the response he's asking from you? Maybe it's a response to become a Christian. Maybe it's a response that somehow in the midst of our busy lives, you, you put the mission on the shelf. And maybe it's time to grab that mission again and go, God, I'm all in. I'm going to display your irresistibility as much as I can. I'm going to speak truth to people in a loving way. And I'm going to trust you with the results so that people can find you. If that's you, whatever it is you need to commit yourself to Christ in today, let's do that. Bow your heads, let's pray. Father, thanks 
Thank you that your word is alive and it's amazing. And Jesus, thanks that you are irresistible. Lord, I want to be like you were to the crowds. And Lord, if truth be told, I can't do miracles. You can. And I can pray for them, but I can't do them, Lord. But I still can show the love and compassion that you had. God, would you grab and tug at our hearts? Would you help us to really believe that it's possible in a valley that seems so far from you that you might win souls and transform lives? I believe that, God. I'm gonna walk into it. And if you agree with that and this mission you're up for and you wanna see happen and you're willing to make sacrifices to make that happen, would you simply say, amen? Amen.